1 John chapter 1. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful hour of power. We thank you for everyone within the sound of our voice. We pray for God's hand upon each heart. Thou wilt encourage the believers. Thou wilt bring conviction to the unsaved. And that we will all see from the scripture that our faith has a firm resting place. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read these 10 verses. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and don't walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now I want you to notice several things about this scripture. First of all, the author. The author of this passage, of this first John, is the, the apostle John. John was one of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He was more of an intimate friend of Jesus, perhaps closer to the Lord than any of the others. He was more, more than likely the youngest of the apostles. And you remember on the resurrection morning, when Jesus was raised from the dead, Peter and John ran out there to the tomb, and John outran Peter. And Peter impulsively went in to see the empty tomb. And then John went in, and John looked down, and he saw the grave clothes and the napkin that had been around the Lord's head. And the Bible says, and seeing, he believed. Apparently the first one this side of Calvary to believe in the resurrected Christ. That was John. He is also often called the apostle of the love of God. John wrote five books of the Bible. Book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. This is the John that was out at the, at the cross when Jesus said to him, Son, behold thy mother. And he said to his earthly mother, woman, behold thy son. And so John was given the earthly care of Mary. That's John. Now, tradition tells us that after his exile from the Isle of Patmos, he was put there because he preached the word of God. He was exiled. Thought, perhaps they thought he would die out there. But God let him live. That's where the Lord gave him the book of Revelation. He was allowed to go back to the city of Ephesus and he became, you might say, the pastor emeritus. Uh, Timothy had been at Ephesus, but John now becomes the elder statesman. 
And he writes this book, these five chapters, to all the little children scattered abroad. And over and over again in this passage, he talks about my little children, my little children, my little born again ones. Now, in this passage, the first chapter, first he talks about a personal experience. He says, I've had an experience with Jesus. I knew him. I saw him. These hands handled him. My eyes looked upon him. Now, beloved, not one of us can ever say, my physical hands touched the body of Jesus. Not any of us can say, my physical eyes saw Jesus in a vision, maybe, in our heart's faith, certainly. But with our naked eye, no. John said, I did. I was with him three years. And the things I want to tell you, I'm telling you from firsthand experience. Which reminds us, you can't tell somebody else about Jesus if you've not had an experience with him. I mean, you can't be convincing about it unless you know the Lord yourself. But if you do know him, you can tell others about him. And so we have that personal experience. And then secondly, I want you to notice the purpose of the epistle. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. There's a twofold purpose. He said, I'm writing this so that you can have fellowship with us. And if you have fellowship with us, then you're going to have fellowship with Jesus because our fellowship is with him. Now, isn't that far, far cry from what some people say? I've got fellowship with the world, and uh, I enjoy being in the world and all the things the world does and the world and the flesh and the devil. If you have fellowship with me, you'll have to have fellowship with the world because that's where I have fellowship. John said, no, my fellowship is with Jesus. And I'm writing this to you so that you can have fellowship with us, and therefore you're going to have fellowship with Jesus. Now, believers, that's the way we need to live. We need to live in such a way that we're in fellowship with Christ all the time, and those who have fellowship with us have fellowship with Jesus because our fellowship is with him. Secondly, he says, I write this unto you that your joy may be full. So you can have joy, J-O-Y, J-O-Y. This must surely mean Jesus first, others yourself last, and others in between. <laughs> joy, joy. Now, there's a difference in joy and happiness. Most of us are not happy all the time. We're happy sometimes. A lot of times people just wear their feelings out in their face. You look at them, they're depressed, they're discouraged, and, and they just look like they've got a, they're baptized in lemon juice. Look all down and out and so on, defeated. But, you know, uh, Jesus wants us to have joy, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the outside looks like. No matter how dark the day, we need to have joy. Now, there are days so dark that we seek in vain for the face of our friend divine. There are days when it looks like we're not going to, we have to reach up to touch bottom. But that doesn't mean we can't have joy. We may not be very happy. A boy is not very happy if his girlfriend doesn't like him. A girl isn't very happy if her boyfriend doesn't like her. But you still have joy. You don't have to pout, be defeated, and discouraged, and that's all you think about all the time. You can have joy. We're not very happy if we don't have enough money to pay our bills. We're not very happy if we've got some physical problem that we, may, we know may limit our lifespan. Not very happy about it. But we don't have to go around with a mulish face all the time. We can be joy-filled. 
have joy, unspeakable, full of glory. Because you see, Jesus lives inside of us. And he's the answer to joy. And John says, I'm writing this to you that you may have joy. Joy, joy. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. The difference between happiness and joy, happiness depends on happenings. Happenings. The things that happened made me happy. Joy depends on Jesus. Is he abiding and living in your heart? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done for you. Nobody is happy when their loved one dies. I don't know anybody that would stand by a casket and say, I'm so happy tonight, <laughs> just so happy that this happened. Of course you're not. But I want to tell you, you can still have joy when there are tears. There can still be joy welling up deep in your soul when there's a time of tears. Because Jesus is the joy of living. Now, let's look at the next thing. This is the message that we've heard of him. There's a threefold message in this chapter. This is the message we've heard of him. Number one, that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. That's the message. Now he goes on to say, if, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we die and do not the truth because God is in the light. We can't say we're having fellowship with God and walk in darkness. Just can't do it. If you're going to walk in darkness, you're not having fellowship with God. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to get to a point where we never sin. We'll see that in a few moments. But it does mean if the Jesus is abiding in our hearts, when we do sin, he's going to make us sorry. It's going to hurt us. We'll have to make a beeline back to the cross and ask him to cleanse us and forgive us. And we're going to start walking in the light again. But if you habitually walk in the darkness, your mind is filled with the gutter things. Your mind is filled with the world, the flesh, and the devil. Your mind is filled with all kinds of carnal things. Then it's not dwelling on God because it's just a, just a simple test. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth because God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. But look at verse 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with whom? With one another. Isn't that remarkable? You'd think he'd be saying we have fellowship with uh, Jesus. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with Jesus. No, he's saying if we who are believers walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. We enjoy being together. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. We enjoy coming to church. We enjoy being with God's people. Why, because everybody here is perfect? No. Why, because everybody here never sins? No, a thousand times no. We're all sinners. Church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. We come to church because we need the fellowship of the believers. But, he says, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And we're aware, these verbs are progressive, we're aware that the blood of Jesus Christ keeps on cleansing us from all sin. Just keeps on. Keeps on cleansing us from all sin all the time. The blood is continually applied as we walk in the light. Why is that true? Because as we walk in the light, when we have sin in our lives, the spotlight of glory is going to see that. 
and we'll see it and we'll confess it and the blood will be applied to cleanse us from that sin and we'll be continually cleansed from sin. That's the reason a believer can never be lost after he's saved. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. <clears throat> now there's a second truth. Look at verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now he's talking about we, believers, Christians, God's people. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We don't get to a point where we live above sin or live without sin. We're going to have to deal with it all the rest of our lives. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But look at the third great truth. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confess means to agree with, agree with God about. He's saying if we agree with God about this thing, have you ever tried to say to your son or daughter, this thing is not right, this thing is not wise, and they say, well, I don't see wrong with it. They're not agreeing with you, so therefore they're not confessing it. But isn't it precious when your boy or girl will come and say, you know, I was wrong. I did this and I'm sorry. Or when some adult comes along and says, you know, I was rude to you or I, I hurt you or I, I wronged you and I'm sorry, I ask you to forgive me. It's just disarming, isn't it? I don't see any heads nodding. I guess it's because we do it so seldom. We hurt people and don't ever say anything about it. Just hope they'll forget it. <laughs> but when we hurt people, when we, when we sin against someone, we need to go and ask them to forgive us. And if they forgive us, you've done what you can do. Just go on. If they don't forgive, there's nothing you can do. You just have to go on. But if we confess our sins to God... We know one thing about him. We know two things about him. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that precious? What a wonderful truth that is. Are you walking in the light? Do you have joy in your heart tonight? Do you stay prayed up? Do you stay confessed up? You know, I think one reason that we look moody sometimes and, and we get moody and all of us are subject to it. There's not one that isn't. It's because we don't practice these truths found in this chapter. But if we'll practice them, let them be real to us, there'll be joy, unspeakable joy, full of glory in our lives. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study the Bible. We pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to every one of our hearts and may we go from here encouraged and right in the middle of the week. May we say, thank you, Lord, for leading me to God's house on this Wednesday night. If there's one here this evening, Father, who needs to register a public commitment, maybe to take an open stand for Jesus, maybe to come and say, I've been saved, but I haven't been baptized. I need to do that. Or I need to start over for God and get going for him. Oh, Father, we pray that that person 
would have the courage and the strength and the faith tonight to just step out for the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. What's the number? Page 385. I can hear the Savior calling, take thy cross and follow me. Where he leads me, I will follow. <clears throat> now listen to God's invitation for a moment. If you're here and God's Spirit has moved upon your heart and there's some commitment to Jesus you need to make, would you do it? Maybe rededicating your life. Maybe moving your membership to this church. Maybe you've been saved, but you've not publicly confessed it. You have not been baptized. You ought to come tonight and take that stand for Christ. If you're here tonight and you're not sure you've ever been saved, would you come and trust Him as your Savior? While we sing, would you step out for Christ? <clears throat>